Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, Matt Densky finishes our series on parables. Matt teaches on the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. He talks about how forgiven people forgive other people, and he tackles some of the myths people believe about forgiveness. We hope you feel encouraged by this message. All right, guys. Well, good evening. I'm glad you're here. My name is Matt. Most of you know me. Some of you may not. This may be some of your all's first time here. And so I want to welcome you guys. If it is your first time, uh, man, this summer we've been going through a series on parables, Jesus's favorite way of teaching. And while he gave us things like the Sermon on the Mount, where he kind of lays out very exact ideas, and while he gave us things like the Olivet Discord on the Mount of Olives, he's given us some of these ideas very structured and broken down. His favorite way of teaching was teaching in parables. And by the way, his favorite place to teach was outside. That's a little side note, but he loved teaching outside. Over half of his teaching was done outdoors. But his favorite way was parables. Parables are riddles. Parables are puzzles to kind of put together. They're mysterious. They're intentionally vague. They're intentionally withholding. Jesus' favorite style of teaching is not directly giving you an answer. And I don't, I don't know if that, like, you know, provokes some thought or not, but, but when you think about how valuable time is, God has come down in the flesh. His name is Jesus. We believe he's the full emulence of God with skin on. He's on earth for 33 years. Out of those 33 years, he only does public ministry for three of those years, the age of 30 to 33, before he's murdered. You would think, because Jesus had a a pretty good sense of the timeline and of the events occurring, you would think someone who knows their days are so numbered and is doing ministry for such a limited time, who's teaching publicly for such a limited time, you would think God in the flesh would make every effort possible to make things crystal clear. Here's what I'm saying. Here's what I want you to hear by that. Here's what I want you to take away. When you go home, I want you to remember this point. You would think that's how God might do it, and he doesn't. He teaches in parables, riddles, puzzles, these things that you hear and you're kind of like, dude, I don't know if that's the best sermon I've ever heard in my life and I just can't articulate it or I don't know if this guy is psychotic. Like, it's, like it doesn't make sense to me, this guy. In fact, a lot of people thought Jesus might be a little loopy because he was, he was just that um, radical for his day. His favorite way of teaching was packaging these kingdom truths and these earthly realities that didn't quite make sense upon first hearing. And that's why he did it, because he wanted people to wrestle with what he was saying. He didn't want to make this prepackaged idea. Here it is. Hit the microwave button. Got it. Okay, now you're good to go. You checked the box off. You came to church. You got a nice little message, three points. I'll start with the same letter. Cool! Jesus knows that doesn't really feed your hunger to grow with God. Most sermons you hear like that, you forget within a week, if not a day. So he gave these very, very mysterious things that people were forced to wrestle with. You either walked away thinking, that applied in no way to my life, or you walked away thinking, my heart was just changed by that. I don't know how yet, but something was in there. So tonight, we're looking at another parable of Jesus, our last one of the summer. I know. I know, for all my graduating seniors, <laughs> Imicate, guys, we need to pray for Imicate, emergency prayer squad. She might cry 17 times tonight, okay? Go, go Auburn, War Eagle. All right, you'll be okay. <laughs> yes, yes. All right, so we're going to look at our last parable of the summer tonight, um, our last parable in this series before we switch it up and go to some new things. Now, some of you may have noticed this, this thing behind me. Anybody notice this? Some of you guys laughed when I brought it out. Isaac, you didn't see this? Maybe your hair got in the way, man. I like your, that's not a diss. I like his hair. I told him when he came in, I was like, dang, dude, you look really nice. I don't know how guys give compliments. You can't overdo it. Otherwise, that's weird. It's like, Isaac, you look so, like, really good, (laughs) you know. Um, (laughs) All right. Some of you guys noticed this. This is an elephant. Yeah, I don't know if you guys know this. Actually, guys, this was a gift to me from our very own, our one and only Rachel Baylor. Yeah. I don't know if it was a gift as much as it is. I wound up with it. This, uh, we played white, white Elephant last December, and I wound up with a White Elephant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I brought it home and gave it to my son. I was like, here you go, buddy. But uh, anyway, man, that's why he has his Christmas scarf. It's a, it's a Christmas White Elephant. I, uh, I brought this tonight because I want this to 
symbolically represent what we're going to be talking about tonight. We're going to be talking about an elephant in the room tonight. See what I did there? You like that? It's like, oh, wow, man. Uh, that's not weird after all. Uh, we're going to be talking about an elephant in the room tonight, something that every single person in this room is currently going through or will within the next few days, I promise you. You know, usually when I preach a, a message, a sermon, like I'm crafting it, I'm trying to put all this thought in it, and I think to myself, like this will hopefully reach everyone in the room, but I fully understand that sometimes what I talk about is not directly applying to every year in the room. It may later or it may already have or, or maybe in the moment, but this is one of these topics, these ideas that I know every single person in this room is going through right now or you will in the next few days. It's the elephant in the room. Do you know what it is? What? Did someone just say Jesus? Bro, he's not the answer for everything, man. I'm going through Jesus right now. No, not Jesus. The elephant in the room is conflict. The elephant in the room in most of our relationships is conflict. I know that every single person sitting in these chairs right now is either going through conflict or I promise you, you will in the next few days. Conflict is an unavoidable part of life. Some of us hate conflict. It makes us so clammy and our hands sweat and we just lock up and we hate to see it unfolding in front of us and we don't engage whatsoever. And maybe you bottle in emotions or you sweep stuff under the rug and you have like zero conflict resolution abilities about you and therefore you're passive about it all and you have all these emotions just welling up inside of you and then one day, pff, you're a volcano! And people are like, oh my gosh, man, who are you? Psych word, you know, like... Some of you guys are a little too gung-ho on the old conflict train. You guys are like, who needs a fight pit? Huh? Who wants to talk today? What's up, Sarah? Uh, that wasn't a call-out. That was just you happen to be in front of me in the moment. <laughs> Some of you guys are like trying to pick fights all the time. I love conflict. But the elephant in the room typically of, of relationships is conflict. Communication breakdowns, disagreements about something, pain about something. Got a brand new married couple right over here. The Hastings in the house. I mean, just to put you on the spot, you guys have been married, what, two weeks? Three weeks? Have you, three weeks today? Have you guys, have you guys had any conflict since the wedding? What? In three weeks, it's your honeymoon phase, man. I know, I'm giving you a hard time. My wife and I had, had um, the first fight we ever had as a married couple was the day after we got married, all right? <laughs> it's unavoidable, I'm telling you. Like, you can sit here and pretend like you don't have conflict, like, oh, like all my friendships are good. No, like, I know that you have problems. And so for you, maybe, like, think through your relationships with your friends, truly. Like, all your friends, you haven't had a fight with any of your friends recently, or have you? Has that fight been your fault or their fault? According to you, probably their fault, right? According to them, maybe your fault. Have you, have you been hurt recently by anyone? Has someone talked bad about you behind your back? Have they gossiped about you? Have you been betrayed? Do you feel like you've been slandered? Do you feel like your reputation was thrown under the bus? Do you feel like you were the butt of a joke or sarcasm and you just didn't know how to receive it and you were hurt by that, but now you don't know what to do with that? Do your friends love you and encourage you? Do they always shoot you down? Do they, do they belittle you? Do they chip away at you for the sake of building their own selves up? Do you feel like you have a voice or do you feel like you're smothered out? Are your friendships really, really healthy, truly, or do you have conflict? What about the relationship? Maybe some of you guys are like in romantic relationships, like our newlyweds over here, like myself and my boo. <laughs> uh, maybe some of you guys are in romantic relationships. And maybe you guys are having some problems, man. Dating is tough. Most relationships on a high school level last, what, like six months is like long term, right? Like, you guys have been dating forever. When are you going to propose already? Most relationships last, what, like a month, right? There's just so many problems that arise when all the feelings kind of fade away. All of a sudden you realize, wow, like relationships are hard. And that relationship where you're taken care of, where you've spoken well to, were you treated well? Were you lifted up in word and deed? Did they lose their temper with you? Did they yell at you? Did they call you names? Did they point you out? Were you hurt? 
relationship with your parents? How's that one for a lot of you? When you go home, is that a place of pain right now? Are there things unspoken right now? Is your heart broken in some ways right now? You have conflict in your relationships. We all do. It's part of life. In fact, one of the coolest things about Jesus, one of the specific things he does teach on is in Matthew 18, which is eventually where we're going to be tonight, but he's got like this specific way of talking and then this figurative way of talking. Specifically, he gives a formula. Hey, for everyone in conflict, here's how to go about resolving that conflict. It's kind of cool. He lays out like an actual template. If you're in a relationship and it is conflict, here's what you need to do. And then he tells this parable that's like super vague and mysterious. But originally he's like, hey, here's how to approach conflict. So here's what I want you guys to do. Under your chair, you have paper, you have pens. We didn't have pens for everyone because <laughs> uh, you guys, every time we let you borrow them, you steal them. So we're running very, very low on pens. So we don't have some for everyone, so share if you need. On that piece of paper, on that piece of paper, I'm going to give you guys like one minute, literally one minute, and I want you guys to write down any emotion, any thought that just got triggered as we were talking. It could be someone's name that you're not forgiving, you're not embracing conflict. It could be an emotion that you're feeling, like a pain that you're going through, something that you're really wrestling with. It could be a desire. Man, I just wish that relationship could get restored, or, or I just wish that person would confess or ask for forgiveness or apologize to me. It could be the actual emotion that you have. I'm just like sad, dude. Like I'm in this relationship or I'm in this conflict, and it's hurting. I want you to write it down on that piece of paper. You don't have to put your name. I don't want to know who's writing this stuff. No one's even going to read this stuff, but go ahead and write it down. You get one minute. Think hard. Write it down. Take your time, but hurry up. You know what I mean? Who are you in conflict with? Source of pain in your heart. We're talking about the elephant in the room. I know it's hard to talk about. Thirty seconds left if you need it. Fifteen seconds. That's a fast fifteen. It's the fastest 15 seconds I've ever given anyone. All right. We all got it? Everyone got it? All right. Cool. Here's what we're going to do. I want you to crumple that piece of paper up. A tight little snowball, man. Tight little snowball. I have up here, this is a, when I go backpacking, I like to organize my gear, my stuff. I like to know where my stuff's at. This is a little, like a little organizer for backpacking, okay? I put my pins in here, my little headlamp, maybe like my glasses because I'm getting old and... <laughs> My eyes are falling apart. All right, so here's what we're going to do. I need all papers passed up, and we're cramming them in. We're taking up as much space. Pass them up, pass them up. Yep, yep, yep. Pass them over, pass them over. We're cramming in. We're cramming in. Cram, 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 cram. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. That was a handful there. That was good. Come on, come on, come on. Take your time. Hurry up. You guys got a representative. Room right, collecting. Room left, collecting. Emma. Yes, I see him. Yes, nice. Keep going. Keep going. I'm going to read these with my wife later. We're going to get some juicy conflict. <laughs> Babe, if we think we're bad, listen to my students. <laughs> we're going to feel so good. Yeah? I'm just kidding, guys. I'm just kidding. Hey, I'll, I'll come to you, man. I'll come to you. Everyone else in the room came to me, but <laughs> why, why? I'll come to you. All right. We good? We good? We got them all? All right. I'm zipping them. They're in the vault. Okay? I won't read them. I promise you guys. Maybe. Okay. Here we go. In this bag right here... Is rep represents everybody in this rooms right now who participated. Uh, maybe you were too cool. But everybody who participated, somebody goes, that was too cool. Your pain, your hurt, your frustration, your desire, your broken relationship, your conflict, a need for forgiveness is all right here, which is kind of unique, man, like to just look at it and be like, wow, man, everybody's hearts just got articulated and is on a piece of paper in this thing right here. It's really, really interesting because the truth is the elephant in the room is we all have conflict. We all have a need for forgiveness one way or the other. One of the things that's true about us is when someone hurts us, tell me if this is true or not. When someone hurts us, we want revenge before we want reconciliation. In fact, if we're really honest, our way to approach reconciliation is 
we think we'll be good if we can actually get them back. Like, that's typically how we view reconciliation. Or maybe not us getting them back, but we just hope, like, fingers crossed, I hope you trip and break your nose today. You know what I mean? Like, we just hope bad things happen to them, right? We, now, you may not out it, because no one in here is like, oh, yeah, you're right, man, I do that. Like, I sit in homeroom and just think about all these terrible things that I wish would happen to Jane. <laughs> you know, like, but if we're honest, this is what we do. Our view of revenge, think about it, when someone hurts you, when someone uh, breaks your trust, when they, when they, maybe they're cruel to you, or they make fun of you, or they belittle you, or they betray you, or they, they backstab you, or whatever, our approach typically is we want revenge, but the problem with this is none of us are actually capable of getting revenge in a fair way. Jesus knows this. Like, there's an Old Testament principle that says eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The problem is if someone takes your eye, you don't want to take their eye, you want to kill them. Like that's the problem, right? It's like, I mean, revenge works if it's fair, but the problem is when someone hurts you, you want what happened to you plus some. I'm not going to take your eye, dude. I'm going to I'm going to take your life. You don't want to take their tooth, you want to take their whole like skeleton. Like I'm going to kill you. Like this is how we think. And so when it comes to revenge, we're not good with equal ratios, right? So we don't do eye for eye, we do eye for whole body. We don't do ounce for ounce, we do ounce for pound. In fact, like this is kind of what it looks like, right? It's like, hey, you come against me like this, this one little piece of paper, and I'm going to come against you like this. Like, I hope you die. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, love you, but death to you type of thing. I was on Facebook today, and I saw a guy, I haven't spoken to him in a long time, to be fair. Like, I, I don't know where his heart's at. I guess I do after this Facebook post. But the dude literally laid out a death threat on Facebook. Like, literally. And I, th- and I thought, dude, you are so dumb. Like, you are so dumb. Stop trying to be, like, big and cool. Like, you're just dumb. You're not going to kill anyone, and you're not going to do it through Facebook. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? But he laid out, like, his status was, you come against me, and I promise you, your days are numbered. And I just read it, and I, like, chuckled to myself, because I was like, what a fool. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, but you mess with me, your days are numbered. Like, Wow. I mean, in one way, that is scripture. Like, he is preaching truth. Like, God has our days numbered, and God knows. So I guess he, maybe he was trying to encourage them. I don't know. Maybe I just read it completely the wrong way. But I was like, dude, you're so dumb. Like, this is what he was saying, though, is like, you hurt me, I'll kill you. Like, we're terrible at revenge because revenge in our minds is never fair. Jesus knows this. In fact, the scriptures talk about this all the way back in Genesis. Does anyone, has anyone ever heard of something called Lamech's Rule? I'm shocked. Not a hand up. I'm shocked that no one's ever heard of this. All right, let's break it down. Genesis 4, verses 23 and 24. There's this guy named Lamech. Let's throw him up here. Lamech says to his wives, so he's, <laughs> he's already kind of <laughs> gone down a bad path, but he's talking to his wives, and he's like, listen to what I have to say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech, he likes to talk about himself in third person. He's kind of a, he's an interesting guy. I wouldn't want to be his friend. But Lamech's is 77-fold. All right, so listen to what Lamech says. A guy wounded me, I killed him. It's like, oh, bro. <laughs> oh, let's pause. You guys ever play this game? You know what I'm talking about? Gotcha, Ian. All right, so, you know, like... When I get you, technically I get to hit you, right? Like that's part of the game. Could you imagine having a friend that you're like, hey man, look at this. And you get him and you punch him in the arm and they pull out a knife. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> like friendship is done. <laughs> like you wounded me, I'll kill you, man. <laughs> like, cool, man. How did you get more than one wife? That's my question, bro. Anyways, this is his principle. I killed a man for wounding me. A young man for striking me. Like a guy hit me. And I slit his throat. This is what he's saying. It's like, bro, you have some anger issues in your life, dude. I fear for your wives, man. Ada and Zilla, like, contact me. I can get you some help there. But then he refers back to Cain, Cain who killed Abel. This is the first murder in the entire Bible. Cain killed his brother out of jealousy. He says, look, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's mine will be 77. This is the rule of revenge. It's called Lamech's rule. And the idea is basically this. You hurt me. You hurt me enough to write on a single piece of paper that I can crumple up and put into this small bag. So I'm going to get revenge. And the way we view revenge is typically inflated. It's hyperbolic. You struck me, I'll kill you. You wounded me, I'll take your life. 
sevenfold revenge? No, 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 no. 77-fold revenge. This is why eye for eye doesn't work. This is why when someone hurts you, when you try to take it upon yourself to get even, it never works. It just escalates and escalates and escalates. So Jesus in Matthew 18 is teaching about conflict. He's talking about the elephant in the room. He's teaching about conflict resolution, actually, which is kind of cool. And then he introduces this parable because his buddy Peter, one of his disciples, this guy Peter, he rolls up and he's like, Jesus, I mean, man, like, how many times, if someone sins against me, if my brother sins against me, how many times should I forgive them? This is kind of the question to launch it. So let's go ahead and throw this passage of Scripture up. This is Matthew chapter 18. Peter comes up to Jesus. He says, hey, listen, if my brother sins against me, I know you're talking about conflict. You're talking about, like, how to approach it. But, Jesus, let's say someone sins against me. How many times should I forgive them? Seven Now, before we kind of chuckle at Peter's number there, like, Peter, seven, come on, man. Like, newlyweds over here have already had to go past seven in order to stay married. You know what I mean? Like, it happens. Seven is not that much, but but his number is not accidental. In fact, it was widely taught in the religion of the day that the appropriate number of times to forgive someone was three. Three. And then you could cut them off. You could cut them out of your life. They could be considered dead to you. Three times. Man, imagine the relationships. Imagine how terrified you would be to like hurt someone's feelings. That was the third time. (laughs) Like, we're no longer friends. Three times, and that was it. This is based out of a verse in Job that the rabbis of the day kind of drew out and expounded upon. So Peter's number is actually pretty generous. Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone? I'll take the cultural understanding, three, double it, six, and then, dude, just for kicks, I'll even add one, Jesus, <laughs> like, mm, seven? I mean, it's actually a pretty generous number, more than double what the religion of the day taught. Jesus' response to Peter says, look, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. That's what Jesus' response is. And if you have the eyes to see it, you see what Jesus is doing, right? Because he's teaching Jews. They would have been well-versed in the Old Testament, especially the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis being the first one. Lamech's rule would have come to mind immediately. Jesus is like counteracting Lamech's rule. Oh, you want to talk about forgiveness, Peter? Seven? Cool. How about 77? You remember when Lamech swore like he's going to get revenge that many? I'm talking about forgiveness that many times, dog. And Jesus isn't teaching in a way that's actually intended to count. Jesus is not saying like, hey, keep track, have some tallies for every relationship in your life. Maybe make a note on your little app in your phone. And when someone hits 77, then you can meet. Like he's not actually encouraging that. This is what we call a hyperbole. He's exaggerating for effect. What Jesus is actually saying is stop counting. Stop counting. Seven, man, that's cool, Peter. I'm telling you, live in such a way that forgiveness flows from you that you're not even having tally marks about it. It just comes out. Forgiveness. Is that possible? All the pain and hurt going on in this bag? Some of you have been severely hurt in this room through friendships or relationships or with your parents or whatever. Someone. Is it actually possible to truly forgive? I don't just mean deal with it. I don't just mean like, oh, I wish things could get better. I'm always going to be hurt by this. This is always going to be something in my life. I guess that relationship is done. I guess it's just going to kind of fizzle. I guess I got to look for a new friend or whatever. Or I guess my relationship with my parents can truly never, ever get better. Like some of us approach forgiveness as a hopeless destiny in which we somehow manage it. I'll just get over it. It'll be fine. Is that, forgive- is that what Jesus is talking about here? Man, what a bleak reality. So many bottled up emotions, so many uncommunicated desires, so many unhealed wounds that are just festering. That's not forgiveness. That's avoidance. It's passivity. It's pretend. Is it possible to actually forgive? when you're hurt. And I'm not talking about like, hey, you hurt my feelings. Like, dude, I don't know if you know this, but 
the other day at cookout. I waved to you. You didn't wave back, JJ. I mean, it's cool, man. It's like whatever. Embarrassed of his youth pastor in public. That's cool. Matty Pot, when you were there, you were with your friends. And I embarrassed you. I mean, I'll out it like I embarrassed you. But you didn't say bye to me. I'm not going to lie to you, man. That kind of hurt, dude. Like, it, it cut deep a little bit. But I forgive you, sis. I just want you to know that. Is that what Jesus, like, only, I'm joking, by the way, both of you guys. I love you all so much. But I was hurt. I mean, on the real. Um, like, does forgiveness only apply to wounds that are, like, level three and below? But anything above that is just too great a wound. I can't forgive them. Is that life? Because that's kind of how we treat it sometimes. So let's look at this parable that Jesus teaches. Peter's asking about forgiveness. Jesus says, dude, stop counting. And then he tells this parable. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle... One of his servants was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, just so that we're clear, a talent in this culture, Jesus is talking like in such extremes. He's trying to communicate this point. A talent in this culture was 20 years worth of wage for an average daily worker. 20 years worth. Most people in our culture work between 40 and 60 years in their life before they retire. So most people earn about three talents, three talents in their life. Jesus says there's a king who wishes to settle accounts, and he brings a servant uh, before him who owed him 10,000 talents. 20 years worth of wage is one talent. This dude owed 10,000. Bro, Someone in this guy's life tell him to stop living so recklessly, man. Like, this dude was going to Vegas every night. <laughs> like, all right, big money, big money, big money. Charge it to the king. Just, just keep rolling the wheel, man. Like, someone should come in and be like, bro, you can't afford this any longer. He owed the king 10,000 talents. Modern day translation, like if you kind of do the math and you switch some currencies around, modern day, $7 billion he owed the king. And this is a normal dude. Like, he's not a Bill Gates. Like, I owe you, buddy, but, like, I have software and stocks. and No, like, this is like, I work at McDonald's, I flip burgers, but I owe you $7 billion. Like, this is a normal dude, okay, who owes this much money. So the king calls him forward. Imagine, <laughs> the king calls him forward. He says, hey, um, you owe me some money, $7 billion. I've been keeping track, so I'd like you to pay that, please. It's my money. It's on loan. You've been charging credit, so it's time to pay up. The guy breaks down. Verse 25, since he could not pay, his master ordered uh, him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. This was a cultural practice of the day. You owe money that you can't pay, all your stuff starts to get sold and parsed out. So the servant fell on his knees. He began to grovel and beg, imploring him, have patience with me, I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, The king, the master of that servant, released him and forgave him the debt. So I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me. This guy owed $7 billion. And the king's like, time to pay it. You owe it. It's my money. I want it. Have you guys noticed every time I've been preaching lately, I feel like somehow Ariana Grande's lyrics like come out in my sermons. Have you guys noticed it? (laughs) I want it. I got it. Okay. So the king... Man, the king is like, hey, it's time to pay up. You owe me a lot of money. The guy can't pay. So the king's like, oh, no problem. Well, I'll just have your home sold, your land sold, your family sold, you sold. Uh, In fact, I'm actually going to have you kind of as a servant but locked away and tell all this. And so the guy, oh, like, please forgive. Like, I can't just have patience with me is what he says. If you actually give me more time, (laughs) dude, there's not amount of time in the world that you're going to find $7 billion somewhere in the next little bit. Have patience with me. And the king says, hold on, hold on, hold on. How about I do this instead? What if I just forgive you the debt entirely? That way you don't have to pay me back. It's just done. That's what he says to the servant. Could you imagine that? I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that feeling when, you're, when you know you've done something wrong and you are in trouble, like that just sense of overwhelming guilt. 
I have at certain times in my marriage and friendships. Like, I, I know when I have done something wrong. That conversation that leads into you asking for forgiveness is one of the hardest conversations you will ever have. Because you know, like, they've got the upper hand, right? Like, you know you are the one in the wrong. And to experience true forgiveness, to feel the weight <sighs> lifted, man, it's just one of the most magical things in the world. This guy owed the king an unimaginable amount of money, an unpayable amount of money. And the king says, hey, 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 don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, buddy. I mean, this dude is about to lose his home, his land, his family, his life, everything. The king says, ah, actually, instead of paying me back, let me just clear the slate. Wow. So the servant goes out from there. And he has it on his mind. He's like, man, the king's collecting money. Does anybody owe me money? It's like, oh, yeah, I do have someone that owes me money. So that servant goes out from there, went and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. This is a different kind of currency in the day. Modern day translation, about $13,000. A pretty sizable, you know, you put $13,000 in front of me, I'm going to be like, ooh, money. I mean, it's not lightweight by any means. But 13,000 compared to 7 billion is nothing. It's nothing. He finds a servant who owed him $13,000. He seized him. He began to choke him violently and says, pay what you owe. This servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience on me and I'll pay you. The exact same request that the first servant had with the king. Have patience on me and I'll pay you. And he refused. And he had this servant put in prison until he should pay back the debt. This guy was just forgiven $7 billion. Has it on his mind to collect money from some people that owe him. Owe him. Find someone who owns him, owes him $13,000. The guy asks for more time, just like he did. And this guy is choking him out near death, like suffocating him, and decides to throw him in prison to teach him a lesson. Until you can pay me, this is your new home. Treats him with such hostility and such violence and such hatred and such bitterness that this guy actually had an outstanding debt he could not pay after he was just forgiven $7 billion. Jesus uses money to talk about this. I tried to think through maybe a way that I could illustrate this and I, I thought through, I'm going to get some help here, but I thought through like um, a little bit of a visual that we're going to do tonight. So I told you guys, these are like little bags I use for backpacking. They organize some of my gear. This is actually my coffee setup, my AeroPress, my grounds, fuel for my stove, all that goes in here. But I'm going I'm to start a pile right here, all right? I got some help. Some people are going to in, bring in some stuff here. But I just want you guys to visualize what's going on in this parable. I know this is about to be a little distracting. Man, look at the muscles on these ladies right here. So these are not the only backpacking bags I own. In fact, if you know me, you know I've got a problem. I, I love bags, backpacks, um, jackets, shoes, and bags, man. That's, that's my problem and my, my issue. So yeah, let's just stack them up. We got a little collection going on here. Oh, careful with those, man. Those are my, my wedding photos. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> That'd be weird. I keep those in my other backpack. Okay, yeah, just like stack them, I guess. Perfect, perfect. Is that all of them, girls? Awesome. Okay, now, I know I have a problem, man. Don't judge me. Gosh, sermon tonight should be on judgment, all right? <laughs> I go backpacking a lot. Lay off, all right? Anyways, look, I was just forgiven this. I go and find someone who owes me this. I, I'm holding it kind of dainty to illustrate the point. It's so tiny. All right. <laughs> I felt weird about it. Pinkies up, y'all. All right. But, yeah. but you guys see what Jesus is teaching here. Like, I, honestly, to actually illustrate this parable, I probably should have called like every person I know who owns backpacking gear, stuffed them full of stuff and filled this whole stage because that would have illustrated it better. This guy owes an unbelievable amount of stuff, of money. 
And he goes to the king, and the king's like, pay it up, dude. You owe this. And he has no way of acquiring it. And the king says, all right, man, why don't I just wipe your slate clean? I'll make this look like this, like nothing. It'll be clean. And so instead of paying me back, why don't we just remove it altogether? And the guy's like, oh, my gosh, thank you, man. Saves his life, saves his marriage, saves his family, saves his home, saves his land, saves his future, everything. Lord, I'm listening. Yes, all right. Then he goes out and finds someone who owes him this. And not even this, not even like this bag, but maybe like this compared to that. Hey, you did wrong to me, bro. You owe me. Like, you hurt me. We need to, we need to, you owe me. Make it right. And the other servant, I can't, man. I can't. $13,000. I don't have that right now. And so the servant who has just forgiven that has this servant thrown in prison and locked away for life until he can repay him. I don't know if you know this about prison, but it's hard to make money in prison. You're going to be in prison until you pay me back. That means like forever. There's no way to pay you back once I'm locked away. So this servant now lost his life. If he had a family, that's gone. If he had land, that's gone. Any hope of a future, that's gone. All over 13,000 when this servant just walked away, having been wiped clean of this. You hear Jesus' illustration. Like you hear it, right? It's the point of a parable, to say it without saying it. So, other servants heard about what happened. Verse 31, they were greatly distressed. They reported to their master all that had taken place. Their master summoned the original servant and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? That's the question. Like, in other words, shouldn't you have done what I did for you? Wouldn't that make sense? Now, here's the deal with forgiveness. Here's why it's so hard. Even when someone does something so light in comparison to what God has done for us, because that's what Jesus is talking about. Compare what God has done in your life, your own sin, the debt that you owed against someone who does something to you, and it doesn't even add up. Like, it's nothing. Like, it'd get lost in the shuffle of that pile. And God's saying, man, I forgave you of it all. Should you not forgive others? But the problem with forgiveness is it's costly, right? It's costly. In other words, if I actually forgive them as I've been forgiven, like if I actually wipe this away as if it never existed, it's going to cost me to do that. It cost the king in the parable $7 billion to do that, to forgive. It's always costly. Forgiveness is all, it's never free. Either you pay or they pay. They pay with your bitterness and revenge and anger, or you pay by letting go of those things and actually forgiving them. And that's hard to do. Forgiveness is costly. Forgiveness is costly. Now, I, I want to kind of go down just a quick, quick rabbit trail here and talk about what forgiveness is not. Because it's really easy to like get in this Jesus mentality and be like, Woo, everything's forgiven. Y'all just hurt me. Just hurt me, man. I'll take lashings. It don't even matter. I'll forgive you no matter what. Like, and that's not good for you because some of you guys are in real, real toxic relationships where you don't have healthy boundaries and you're getting kicked and stepped on and trampled and you're not being taken care of and no one's loving you and you need to have some better boundaries. You can forgive and have boundaries. So I want to I talk through real quick what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Now, I know in our culture of like, <laughs> forgive and forget, like we're like, oh, it is forgetting. No, it's actually not. In other words, if someone hurts you or does something wrong towards you, you don't just pretend like it never happened. Like, oof, I have spiritual amnesia. Wow, that didn't even matter. No, it did matter. It did matter. The reason that this passage of Scripture follows Jesus' teaching on how to have healthy confrontation is because the expectation would be if someone hurts you, you go and talk about it. You try to reconcile. You don't just forget it like it never happened. Well, I forgave them, so I actually forgot it all happened together. No. Like, relationships have emotional scars. They can be healed, but they're still scars. Like, you see them. They have stories. Some of my closest friends in my life are people that I've had to forgive deeply and that have forgiven me deeply, and we point to those things as markers of Jesus working in our relationship. You don't just forget about them. 
but you also don't hold them against the person. There's a difference there. So forgiveness is not just, oh, you hurt me and I totally forgot about it. I know we never talked about it. I know we never cleared the air, but I don't even remember. That's not forgiveness. That's passivity. It's avoiding confrontation. That's not healthy, all right? Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is also not tolerance. In other words, when someone is doing something around you or maybe even to you, hurtful, painful, they're destroying relationships, they're, they're cruel, unkind, unloving, or whatever. Some of us get into ruts of like, well, that's just who they are. You know, God love them. Hm. And we kind of approach relationships with this autopilot mentality. I mean, that's just, you know, that's them. You got to kind of put up with it and love them through it. So you begin to tolerate things. All the while, this person is never approached. No one is ever having a conversation with them. Hey, when you do that, it is so hurtful. Again, Matthew 18 is all about how to have confrontation in the midst of forgiveness. It's not passive. So when we just tolerate things, we actually give people a big old thumbs up stamp of approval. Hey, whatever you're doing, keep on doing it. Tolerating is not forgiveness. Tolerating is actually permission. It's actually permission. If forgetting is passiveness, then tolerating is permission. And then finally, forgiveness is not always, is not necessarily reconciliation. I know, like, what? Forgiveness is not always reconciliation. It takes two people to create a conflict. It only takes one to forgive. It is possible for you to forgive someone without them ever desiring to restore a relationship with you. It's possible. It's not always reconciliation. That's the goal. Like, we want restored relationships and reconciliation. But it is possible to forgive someone without actually getting there. Because in order for true reconciliation to happen, both parties at fault have to admit fault and ask for forgiveness and repent. If only one party is doing that, you're not going to have reconciliation. Most of us tolerate that and pretend, forget that it ever happened in the first place, and then we pretend like everything's good. It's not. That's not healthy. You have toxic tendencies if you're doing that. You can forgive and still have boundaries in place to protect your heart and soul. Love is free. Trust is earned. Don't give it away freely when someone's killing you emotionally, okay? So that's, that's what forgiveness is not. Now back to the parable. Forgiveness <laughs> modeled by God should be modeled by us. It costs something, though. But this is the point of Jesus. So let's look at the final few verses here of what Jesus is saying. In his anger... Verse 34, in his anger, the king, the master, took the original servant and delivered him to the jailers, where he was going to place him originally before he forgave the debt. He gave him to the jailers, and he said, until he can pay all of his debt. He did to him what this wicked servant did to this $13,000 servant. Verse 35, now this is a hard verse, I'm not going to lie to you. Verse 35, and so also my heavenly father will do to every single one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. See, we like to live in this world, theologically, like in our churches, where we're like, hey man, Jesus forgives no matter what. And while that's true, it's also not entirely true. Like Jesus teaches a few times throughout the Gospels. The Lord's Prayer, for instance, Father, forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. That's called a simile, and that means comparison for all my grammar people in the room. Forgive us as we forgive. You are actually inviting God to forgive you to the level that you offer forgiveness to people. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but if you're not good at forgiving, God's basically going to honor your request. All right, I'll forgive you just like you forgive others. Sure. <laughs> this is not the first time Jesus teaches this way about forgiveness. While all sins can be forgiven Forgiveness seems like this category where Jesus says, listen, there's a few things that truly mark my sons and daughters, and forgiveness is one of them. I don't think, I don't think Jesus is teaching here, hey, if you don't forgive, my father will revoke the forgiveness he gave you. I don't think that's what he's teaching as much as if you don't forgive someone when they sin against you, if you withhold forgiveness, intentionally withhold forgiveness, it actually reveals you never received this in the first place. I think that's what Jesus is teaching. I think that's the heart of what he means here. Because there's this idea within the family of God, within the kingdom, that forgiven people forgive people. And it's one of comparison. 
In other words, when we come to the cross of Jesus and we look at our sins stacked up and just stored up and leveled up and we see that Jesus took those sins on himself and forgave us, that that actually enables us to go and forgive others when we're wronged. But forgiveness is costly, man. I don't want to, dude, I don't want to pay that price. I want to hold on to the anger. I want to hold on to the bitterness. I want to hold on. Yeah, it is costly, but here's the deal. Jesus has already paid the price. It's very costly, but not to you. It was to Jesus. Jesus' parable here is illustrating one of comparison, of volume. Look at how much you've been forgiven. Look at this. And this you're going to destroy someone's life over this? When God has paid the price for your forgiveness, you can't pay the price for someone else's? That last verse, man, this is how God, this is how God responds to us. If you don't forgive, if you can't forgive, I think what Jesus is saying here is you don't fully understand what you've been forgiven. Maybe you haven't really received it. Maybe you just don't understand. But it does reflect that something is off in your understanding of how God has forgiven you and expects you to forgive. Because forgiven people forgive people. It's just that simple. Yeah, but Matt, you don't know. Like, dude, you just don't know, man. There's some things, dude. Some people, some things. I don't know. I don't know about your life and everything that's going on. But I've seen enough and know enough people who believe in Jesus and love Jesus and understand the weight of sin that they've been forgiven. I've seen them forgive others no matter what has happened. In 1993, there was a woman named Mary Johnson. Mary had one son, and that son was murdered by a young man named O'Shea. O'Shea went to court. He was put on trial. He was found guilty. And the entire time Mary is sitting there, she believed in Jesus. And the entire time she's sitting there, she outed with her own words, I hate this man. I have so much hatred for this man. He killed my only son. As you guys can imagine, this is not a, like, I don't blame her. She viewed him as an animal. She hated him. She delighted in the guilty verdict of seeing him locked away forever. He was given a 25-year sentence in a prison. She said in the courtroom, because I believe in God and the Bible teaches me to forgive, I forgive him. Like she said that in the courtroom. And O'Shea's mom, when she testified, all she said was, could you please find it in your heart to forgive my son? Mary said, yeah, I forgive him. But as the years went by, Mary started pushing every relationship out of her life and started putting up walls and boundaries, wouldn't let anyone in. She became very bitter and very hostile. It was clear, no, Mary, you hadn't forgiven him, like deep down. You hadn't. The passage ends with, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you who don't forgive from your heart. Like there's a difference between saying it and living it from your heart. After a number of years, the Holy Spirit began to convict Mary. Hey, you know you haven't forgiven O'Shea, right? You expect me to forgive that animal who killed my only son? You mean like how I've forgiven you for killing my only son? Yeah, I do expect that. God, how am I supposed to do that? So Mary felt prompted to go to the prison and visit O'Shea. She's sitting across the glass, looking the man in the eyes who killed her only son. And they have a conversation. And before the visitation is done, Mary tells him, I forgive you, truly forgive you this time. And this huge emotional moment. They actually embraced somehow. They were able to hug. Mary started developing a relationship with O'Shea. She would go and visit him. They started developing a friendship. 17 years into his 25-year sentence, O'Shea was released from prison. Needed a place to live. Mary put in a good word with her landlord, vouched for the guy. He ended up moving in to the very next door apartment beside Mary. She threw him, hosted, organized a welcome home party for O'Shea in the apartment building. They started to become friends. 
They created an organization together which combats violence against people and families and deal with the hurt that gets created through that violence. They co-founded an organization together to heal the very problem that O'Shea caused. Forgiven people forgive people, period. Sometimes it's a journey. Look, man, I'm not telling you, hey, instantly, Mary should have forgiven that dude. <laughs> dude, he killed her son. It's a journey, man. But she's over here looking at the enormous amount that God has forgiven her. She felt convicted. I can't hold on to these feelings anymore. I can't harbor this anger and bitterness towards this man. Does love compel me to forgive him or hate him? To forgive as I've been forgiven. And she forgave him. And now God is doing some incredible things through that relationship. Forgiveness is costly, but Jesus has already paid the price for you. And if you understand you've been forgiven, you forgive. Seven times? No. Infinite times. Infinite times. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we love you. And this is not an easy teaching or an easy word by any means. But rarely is your teaching easy to apply. Jesus, we do pray for our brothers and sisters here in the room that you would help us, give us the courage and the strength and the knowingness to forgive. Sometimes we don't even know how. But your spirit speaks helps us understand those things, so we pray for them. Jesus, as we went through an exercise of inviting people to reflect on pain and wounds, I just sense there are some deep ones in here between friends or family or whatever. And Jesus, we pray in the mighty name that you have. We pray that your spirit would reconcile and beckon us in, into a process where we invite True love, true understanding, true forgiveness, an ability to admit that I was wrong, and an ability to forgive them even if they don't admit that. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. Father, we thank you for forgiving us our $7 billion debt of sin. Help us let go of the pennies that we hold on to towards others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.